Good morning. Our scripture today, as Josiah said, is from Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. If you have a house Bible, it's on page 429. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we come and worship the God that we love and the God that we serve here today, we firmly believe that God has a message that he is going to bring into our lives that draws us closer to him. So this morning we start a new series in the book of Daniel, and the book of Daniel is an absolutely fascinating book, and you see from the beginning it starts just with the the thrust of, of excitement, of tension, and we wonder, what is God up to? What is God up to? One of the things that we've seen in the people of God historically is that in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of uh, chaos, in the midst of a world of trouble, God's people not only survive, but they thrive. Right? God's people not only survive in the midst of chaos or turbulence or trials, but they actually thrive. You would think that the opposite would happen, but what remains true is that they cling to their deliverer And their deliverer shows them the way. Now this isn't simply true historically, but it's true of God's church today. When you see the plight of the Israelites through the land of Egypt, under the rule and reign of Pharaoh, you see that there's a different king that's ruling and reigning. And you see that God's people not only survive, but they thrive. Even today in the midst of persecution, in other nations, in other countries, in other lands. Even in the midst of persecution in our nation, we see that God's people not only survive, but they thrive. Turbulence. You're on the airplane, you're 30,000 feet up in the air, and isn't that the worst words to come across the loudspeaker at the moment? And the pilot tries to make it as easy as possible. He says, ladies ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, uh... We're, uh, we're going to go through a little bit of turbulence. And so uh, 
flight attendants, I've turned the fasten seatbelt sign on, and so uh, make sure you're in your ready position. <laughs> you're in a ready position, and you're ready to grab the oxygen mask right then and there, aren't you? And then you start feeling those jolts, those jolts that just happened, and then you're, that, that paper bag that's in front of you, you just want to grab it and, and, and just let it loose, don't you? And isn't it that the fasten seatbelt sign comes on right when you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I knew I should have went to the bathroom five minutes ago, and here we go. Turbulence is coming, and turbulence doesn't really help with the bathroom problem very much. And you're 30,000 feet up in the air, and you've just got two engines holding you up. Isn't that one of those moments where your heart can just sink and wonder who's really in charge right now? Turbulence is something that God's people go through. Turbulence is something that we all have experienced. When you read the Bible, it's not if turbulence happens, it's when turbulence happens, right? It's an expectation. Turbulence, trials, difficulties are going to happen. And when you're 30,000 feet up in the air, who's the one flying the plane? That's what we want to know. Who's the one in charge? Who's the one that I can trust when if I fall, they're going to pick me up and everything's going to be okay? Well, Daniel and the people of God are in the midst of turbulence. They're taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. Think about that for a moment, the significance of that. The people of God from the promised land The ones that God had promised that his covenant would be on and his great name and fame would be worked through them. They are God's people and he is their God and they're taken from the holy land of God as the people of God into Babylon. It's sin city. It's the place of evil. It's the place of destruction. It is the antithesis of Jerusalem. And God's people go there. It's the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going after them. And he besieges the city of Jerusalem. And he takes it. Jehoiakim was the son of the King Josiah. King Josiah was the king that was known for the revival years of the kings of Jerusalem. He was the one that sought to bring the glory of God back to the people where they have dishonored God, where they have disobeyed God, where they walked in rebellion against God. Josiah wanted to see revival take place in the land of Jerusalem And so when Daniel was growing up, he was growing up under this great King Josiah. And he was schooled in the ways and the wisdom of God. He was taught to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the word of God was rooted in Daniel. And here Daniel finds himself in the midst of a city that has been destructed. And people barge through his house and they pull him out. And they pull out the sons of Israel and they bring them into Babylon. It's got you asking the question and scratching your head and saying, 
what is God doing here? Anybody had those moments in life? What is, what is God doing here? God, are you really at work here? Because I can't see it. I'm sure that's what Daniel has going in his mind. But what we see here is that God is in absolute control. God is in absolute control. None of this is catching God by surprise. None of this is causing God to wonder what's going on. God isn't calling and asking anybody for advice. In fact, it's God the one who is moving things in the direction according to the way they should go. Verse 2. And the Lord gave. Did you hear that? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah, but he did not regard his father's instructions. And he sought to rule through the lens of himself and along with his brothers who would be kings as well. And they were each replaced by one another. And they were set up as puppets from Nebuchadnezzar to rule over Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the one in control. But really, who's the one in control here? It's not Jehoiakim and it's not Nebuchadnezzar. It's God who gave the people of Israel over to Nebuchadnezzar. It's the king and kingdoms that we see are aligned to the ultimate king and kingdom. God is in control of your life, whether you realize it or not. And your challenges, your difficulties notwithstanding, in spite of what you may see, in spite of appearances, God is in control. Perspective matters, doesn't it? In the midst of those times, in the midst of those challenging times and difficulties, your perspective means everything in those moments. How are you looking at a situation? Are you looking at it through your perspective or God's perspective? And here Daniel has to face that question. In which way is he going to look at this situation being dragged from Jerusalem and brought into Babylon? And when all hell breaks loose, where do you look to find that you are grounded right where God wants you to be? And then when do you turn your ears to the heavens and hear the word of God that allows you to thrive in the midst of the chaos? Challenges become opportunities in God. Don't they? We all have a plan for our life. We all do. We all have the way we want it to go. Everybody here has a plan for their life, and we've got it mapped out. We've got the direction. But we quickly find out, time and time again, that things don't always go according to plan, don't we? But do we realize that God is the one that's ultimately moving things? Bringing things in accordance with His plan and His purposes. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work for their good. Do we know that? Do we know that those who are grounded in the love of God, those who have given their lives to God in their heart, in their strength, in their emotions, in their will, in all of their actions, that all things work to the good of those who love Him 
and are called according to his purpose. Do you know that even in your circumstances, in spite of your present conditions, your circumstances notwithstanding, God still loves you? And he is working things out in accordance with his plan for the redemption of humanity. You know, God will move kings and kingdoms. We're here in the United States of America and we are on the cusp of another election season and we seem to be more disappointed than any other election season in my lifetime. And But we are reminded that God is the one who is in charge of the kings and kingdoms of this world. And he is reminding the people of Jerusalem that that is true. And what we see here is that God is sovereign He is in charge of all things. And then God is actually doing this in order to judge his people who've abandoned him. God keeps his promises. We'll tell ourselves in those moments where everything feels good and right. God keeps his promises. And God promised Israel that if they would break his covenant, then he would deliver them to their enemies as a way to show them that he loves them. Doesn't really sound very good. This morning, my kids were fighting. They were having a a heyday on the way over here. In fact, we woke up this morning, we borrowed a friend's truck, and the first thing the kids wanted to do this morning was get in the back of that truck bed. They wanted to get on their brand new church clothes that they had got for school this year, wearing them to church, and they wanted to get in the back of that truck bed. And and mom and dad said, no, you're not going to do it. Sure enough, kids do it. They get in the car, Lily's got her knees all dirtied up from the back of the truck bed, and Carrie says, did, did you not listen to me? And they thought it wasn't that big of a deal. They were just kind of ho-hum, they get in their chair, they're like, oh yeah, we probably should have listened to mommy and daddy. And then m- m- mommy had this promise to the kids that after church we would go get Pokemon cards because they had a really good week in school. And so as a way of her keeping that promise that if they would not listen to her, she said to them, no more Pokemon cards today. And oh my goodness, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that happened in my car this morning on the way to church. (laughs) And you know, it was, they, they were so distraught, thought we might have to do a hospital visit. (laughs) But, but Carrie took this moment and she, she wanted to tell, the, tell my kids that, that the world is bigger than them in that moment. And, and so she's been following along with what's happening in Louisiana. This flooding and these torrential downpours. And she, she took her phone and, and she's been looking at these and we've been talking about it. We've been praying for Louisiana. And she showed these pictures to my kids. She says, look, there's something bigger than you. There's something more significant than this little issue of Pokemon cards. And at the heart of her conversation with my kids is we want to raise them up for something bigger than them. We want to raise them something for beyond what we can see. Daniel was 14 years old. In all likelihood, he was 14 years old. He may have even been younger when he was dragged out of his bedroom and brought into Babylon. How many 14-year-olds could withstand that? Uh, It's got me asking the question, can I raise a Daniel? 
a faithful child of God that follows King Jesus even when I'm not around? Can I raise a child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Friends, this morning, even as a church, we are making steps to lead our children to be able to walk and follow God in the land of Babylon right here. Because our kids are going to face those challenges. Our kids are going to face temptations and struggles and the culture just pushing in on them and their faith increasingly marginalized. But we are raising our children up to stand fast for Jesus. And as parents, I want to tell you that it's our desire this year to come alongside of you in a greater way. And for those of you who don't have children, know that this isn't just for parents. This is for all of us. Because we are seeking the redemption of our city for the glory of God. And you have a part to play in seeing that these children are lovingly led to the throne room of Jesus so their hearts stand fast in Him because they love Him with all that they have. And that's what Daniel faced in Babylon as a 14-year-old boy with his friends, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Anybody watch Veggie Tales? That's a freebie. You're going to want to go watch that after church today. But God gave them over to Jehoiakim, and he had these vessels. There's these vessels that were in the house of the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar defiled the, the great fame and glory of God when he took those vessels that were there to tell of God's wondrous works. There were reminders to the people of Jerusalem of all that God has done in delivering them. And Nebuchadnezzar takes those, those vessels that were monuments, reminders of the great greatness and goodness of God and he brings them into the house of his gods as a way of saying that our God is better than your God look what power your God has over you if he is going to let you be taken from Jerusalem and brought into Babylon what power does God have when these vessels are taken and out of the house of worship and brought into the house of paganism What kind of God allows that to take place? A God who allows his glory to seemingly be diminished in order to show us that he's more glorious than ever. You think about it with Jesus. Jesus was on the cross, suffering. In a way, Jesus' death was a ridicule of the one that God sent But yet it was that very thing, it was that very work, that very act that brought deliverance to the people of God where they would have never had it before had that moment in time, that actual event in history never taken place. Jesus was paraded before Babylon in order to be a curse in order that he would be a blessing. Where is God in that moment? Jesus even asked that question. My father, why have you forsaken me? So that his fame and his renown would be regarded for all generations. This is the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel is the story of God. And the story of God is the story of Jesus. And the way God relates to his people 
And God allowed his people to suffer under his judgment so they wouldn't be under his judgment for all eternity. And that they would be delivered from Babylon by the God who sent them there. And on the heart and mind of Daniel was to be a faithful witness in the midst of the chaos. God is in control. God is in control. Continue to look with me here now at verse 3. Then the king commanded Asphanes, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish and good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So no Bible college for Daniel. Daniel, what school do you want to go to? Well, I'd like to go to this university or that university. Well, how about the University of Babylon? That's the only choice you've got right now. Here you are taken from this Bible college and brought into the University of Babylon. And you don't have a choice about it. Your kids, the kids of Israel, are now being schooled in the way of the culture, in the way of paganism. Can they withstand that ungodly influence? Can we withstand that ungodly influence? Friends, right now, school of Babylon is in session, and it's going on all around us. And I'm not saying that we should skip out on class. I'm saying that we need to go to school, but we go to school grounded in the one we've ultimately learned from, grounded in the one that we're established from, grounded in God's word. This is why discipleship is so important, that we are trained up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because we are receiving from God's word his life on a day-by-day basis so that when the school of Babylon comes in and the bell rings and they're trying to brainwash us and persuade us in a different direction, we use it as an opportunity to let the truth ring louder. One of the things I love about Christianity today is apologetics. Apologetics is understanding the arguments of the culture and the world around us and confronting them with the truth of God. Can we know God's truth in such a way that we are not afraid of the questions of the world around us? We are not afraid of the ridicule of the world around us, but we go after those things where they seek to ridicule God and we allow the truth of God to emerge because truth is truth, isn't it? And we can not be overtaken by the way of the world, but we can stand fast in the midst of it. At cross point, this is our heart. We want to make disciples. That's the command of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, and surely, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Jesus is right before the devil himself after fasting for 40 days and he stands fast from the enemy and he confronts him with the truth of God's word. We will have those opportunities. They may seem like they are challenges, but friends, those challenges in light of the gospel are opportunities if we cling to our hope in God. This is why at Crosspoint we have community groups. 
This is the engine for discipleship where we seek to grow in the Word of God together that gives us fuel for our personal study with the Lord, our personal prayer time with the Lord. We come together with God's people and we learn together and grow together and allow God's Word to transform our life on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. It's not just about being this Ned Flanders-type group. (laughs) It's about being the people that God has called us to be. And this is what I desire for us as a church. Orlando is not very different from Babylon. We see that there's an encroachment of the world, of the world into our faith, telling us what we should believe and we should not believe. Saying that sin is not sin anymore and God's grace doesn't really matter all that much. Because if sin is sin, why, if sin is not sin, why do you need grace? But what we do is we go with a firm conviction and a heartfelt compassion to bring the truth of God's word to bear in love to those people. How can we do that if we're not schooled in God's word? Friends, right now, it's a new day. It's a new time. And your identity can be rooted and grounded in God's grace, in those moments. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. When your identity is grounded in the God who is in control, you know that when God shifts your life, shifts the direction of your life in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. The things can change at any given time. You know that those are things that the Lord has set in its place so that you would walk the straight line that he's provided for you. It may not be the way you want to go. It may not be the way things have been planned. But it is recognizing that there's a greater work that's been established that you are now a part of. Be faithful to your identity in Christ. That's the question that Daniel had to ask himself, I'm sure, being taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Would he remain faithful to the God of his fathers? Would he remain faithful? Would his faith become actionable? Would it work itself out in the way of his life? All parents face this when they send their kids off. Is their faith going to be just a reflection of my faith? Is it just going to be this this mere image of what I've believed? Or will it be their own? Will they own it? Will God have their heart? Will he grip them? And this is what the people of God are faced with. You see, they face a challenge with food. Will they eat from the king's table? We're going to talk about that next week. You see, they face a challenge where their names are actually changed. Daniel, Belteshazzar, I don't remember the other ones, their names were actually changed. I'll just call them Rakshak and Benny. We'll go with that. Um, Their their names were changed. Their names were all grounded in in the God of Israel, in the God of Isaac, in the God of Jacob. And there there were names that were now a derivative of pagan gods. Their whole life was changed. Now, that didn't matter all that much to Daniel and his friends. Why is that? Because Daniel knew 
that who he was is grounded in who God made him to be. We just sang that song, I know who I am. I know who I am. Daniel knew who he was because the outside influence of the world could not tell him otherwise. In his heart, he belonged to the Lord. In his heart, he trusted in a Messiah that would ultimately deliver them from Babylon and bring the peace and rule and shalom of God back to the people of God. Even if Daniel never himself experienced it, he knew from the vantage point of God, God was moving in that direction. God was moving in that way. Let me ask you this. Is our faith in God merely a framework for decision-making, or is it something that has pierced our hearts? Alistair Begg says this. He says, if your religion is a framework, it will go down like a pack of cards. It is only when it goes right through the skin, straight to the heart, and lays hold of our lives that that we will be able to stand in the day of trouble. It's only when it goes straight to the skin, through the skin and lays hold of our hearts. Who owns you? Do you live according to, to you? Because let me tell you something, you don't own yourself. Who owns you? Who's in control of your life? And the one who's in control of your life is the one that your identity is grounded in. And if our identity is in Jesus, then we don't have to look to please people. We don't have to allow the, the, the pressure of the outside world to, to encrouch us, to try to get power or control or make people happy because we know who we are. And we, we are who God made us to be. God knows your name. And he's written it in the book of life and you are his and he is yours. And that's something we should never forget because that's something that helps us stand in the day of trouble and be faithful to the one who's been faithful first to us. Challenges are always opportunities in the kingdom of God. Challenges are always opportunities in the kingdom of God. And we trust in the way that God has built us up in order to stand in those days. You are preparing for those moments day by day right now, whether you realize it or not. And even in those moments when you're not prepared, you turn your heart to the Lord and he will deliver you and he will raise you up. And this is what what God had used Daniel for in this time, to raise him up in that. You know, they were there in Babylon because of a direct promise that God gave to King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was sick and he recovered from the sickness and these envoys from Babylon came to Hezekiah. This is three or four generations removed from King Jehoiakim before. And King Hezekiah accepted these envoys and these envoys, you look at it, you find it in Isaiah 39, by the way. You see these envoys came and they showered gifts upon Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was was grateful for these gifts, but everything's quid pro quo, right? You, you, you pay to play. And so 
Hezekiah invites the Babylonians into his kingdom and he shows them the storehouses, the treasure houses, the vast wisdom and knowledge of its people, the wealth, the army, everything. And when you do that, you're saying that we're on the same team. You know, they had a common enemy. They were actually enemies, but they had a a common enemy more than one another, and that was Assyria. And so they made this political alliance with one another. But rather than depending upon God... Hezekiah depended upon Babylon to be his savior. He made a political move, but rather than trusting and depending upon God. So Isaiah, the prophet, calls him on it. What did you just do? He says, I showed him everything. I showed him everything. And Isaiah, why did you do that? Because he wanted peace in his kingdom in that moment. And Isaiah prophesies to to Hezekiah and he says the peace that you wanted in that moment is now being sacrificed for your future and Hezekiah thought in his heart at least it's not going to happen under my watch and Isaiah tells him your sons and daughters are going to be dragged into Jerusalem the interesting thing that happens here is that God has a purpose even in his judgment and the purposes of God even in his judgment is the redemption of God's people. Not only the people of Israel, but even the people of Babylon. If you look forward to Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into Babylon from Jerusalem, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God is telling the people of Israel that they're not to simply await their deliverance. In fact, the, 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 the message of Jeremiah is you're going to be here for quite some time, 70 years to be exact. And so hunker down. Build into the city. Seek the welfare of, of the city. Seek the redemption of the city. Bring the message of God that's in you into the city. You would be the people of God bringing the message of hope to a lost and broken world. We are called Crosspoint to seek the welfare of the city. It is our mission to point our cities, to point our communities to Jesus Christ. That, that's our mission. That's our calling. That's how we seek the welfare of the city. Well, well how have we been doing in that? I want to ask the question, how, how have we been doing How do you measure that? Why is that important? Well, let me just give you some numbers. One of the things churches do to track relative health, it's not the, the best thing that you can do to track health, but it's an opportunity, is to, to, to how many people has God allowed to be a part of what God's doing here in Crosspoint downtown? So in 2015, from January through July, we had around 80 people that were a part of Crosspoint downtown. God even has done a huge work in that. And in the last year, we've seen that number grow to about 103. It's about 30% growth that God's brought upon us here today. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome what God is doing? And then at the same time within our giving, because one of the things that's important is that we as a church can sustain. 
if there's no tithes and offerings, then we can't do what we do. Then we're no longer a church that's seeking the welfare of the city. In our tithes and offerings, we've grown from about $1,700 a week to about $2,500 a week. About a 50% growth there. And this is something that God's doing. Now, let me tell you why the numbers matter. Every person that was just represented in that growth, every person that God has given us in this church has been an opportunity to point someone to Jesus Christ. It was really an amazing time for me when we did our, our, our last baptism in June. We baptized five people. That day we had planned to baptize two people. Three other people came and said, we want to get baptized because God's been doing this work in us that we want to publicly declare before God's people that we are alive in Jesus Christ. And there is one, one guy that got baptized. His name's Eduardo. Eduardo's here. Raise your hand for a minute, Eduardo. So I told him I was going to use this story. Yeah. So first Sunday, Eduardo came to Cross Point. He was actually coming to meet with a supervisor that works here at the YMCA. Eduardo's an employee here at the YMCA. And, and, and our hospitality team invited him to church. And he said, hey, I can't come this week. But he thought to himself, I want to go to that church. And so the next week, Eduardo came with Natalia. And Eduardo told me that it was a reminder that he had strayed from God's ultimate plan. God brought him to some really great things in his life. And he just walked away from those things. The, the, the world kind of crowded those things out. But when he came here, it was a reminder of what matters. And that's the person and work of Jesus Christ in the redemption of his soul. And he rededicated his life to Jesus to live for him, to walk in him, to grow in him. He said, I want to get baptized because I've been made new. I've been redeemed. And Eduardo today is being discipled here at Cross Point Church. He is growing as a missionary in the gospel. Eduardo's story is one of dozens of stories that has taken place each and every week here at Cross Point that we don't even know that the Holy Spirit is producing. And friends, we exist for stories like Eduardo, for stories like your story, no matter where you're at in your life. You can give your life to God and say, God, would you do for it as you will? The big thing for us in January 2016 is that we are self-sustaining, meaning that we're no longer taking funds from the outside, but we as a church have our big boy pants on and are growing in serving this community for the glory of God and that we could plant churches and that we can make disciples and that God has produced that. Friends, I want to challenge you to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ with us in Cross Point Church. Many of you are partners here. Many of you are not. This year, more than ever, we need people that are committed to seek the welfare of the city, to seek the Lord's will and redemption for the city to press in. That means that we give generously and sacrificially. It doesn't just mean that. That's one small part of it. It means that we commit our life to the plan that God has for us. And we walk according to his purposes. And we as a church, we lock arms. We want to be there for your troubles. 
We want to be there for your trials. We want you to be there for the troubles and trials of others. We want to see loving friendships developed here and care and community. So when those days of trouble come, you stand not just according to yourself, but God has a people there to hold your arms up in the midst of those trials. And that we would see people come from death to life. They would be given over from death to life. Because the weight of eternity hangs in the balance. We are calling people out of the lake of fire and into the kingdom of heaven. This is our call. This is what I'll give my life for. We point our community to Jesus Christ by making disciples that make disciples and planting churches that plant churches. This is what we exist for. And this is how we seek the welfare of the city. And then finally, Jeremiah says, pray to the Lord in its behalf. Pray to the Lord for God's working power in the city right now. Pray to the Lord that God would bring to bear his great name in Orlando. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how he's going to do it. But what we do know is we are going to be faithful witnesses of the message of mercy and salvation in Jesus Christ. This Wednesday, we have an opportunity to pray together. All of our community groups gather on Wednesday evening, this at the, at the fourth Wednesday of the month, to pray together. Join us in that prayer. My wife does not like to pray in public, but she loves those prayer times. And I'll tell you, you can just add your amen in your heart like she does and join us in those prayer times. There's no pressure to say a word, but to sit in the presence of the saints and pray together. And seek the welfare of the city. We're not going to go get this self-sustaining thing on our own strength. We seek the Lord. Say, God, would you do it? Would you bring it about? Would you make it possible? I want to close in thinking upon this word that Daniel says. When he says in verse 2, the Lord gave, this word for the Lord is the word Adonai. It means that God is the master and commander. And God is the one who arranges kings and kingdoms for his own glory. And I want to ask you in a very personal way, is your life driven by you or is it driven by the master and commander? I had to wrestle with that question when I became a Christ follower. I was reading Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's in charge of the church. And he's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might be supreme. For God was pleased that all his fullness would dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed On the cross, Adonai, Jesus, 
our master and commander, the one who speaks life into your soul, the one when you're dry offers you water from the stream of life so that you'll never thirst again. Come and drink. Come and drink from Adonai, the master and commander. And let's drink together because we know that no matter what comes our way, he is right there with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come expound your word. And God, as I do this, I remember what you've taken me through. I remember where you've brought me. I remember that your grace has been upon me and I remember that you have brought me from death to life. And God, we're reminded of that right now. Each and every one of us in our stories, God, there is a place, there is a moment, there is a time where you have said, I am yours and you are mine. And you are our master and commander. And we take communion, God, remembering that you led us through brokenness because your body was broken. God, you led us through bloodshed because your blood was shed for us. And we receive communion, God, because we receive you. And we realize that sin had a penalty and that penalty was death and you died it for us. So we wouldn't have to. And we recognize that, Lord, with all our heart. And God, we ask that you pierce our hearts right now. And you cause us, God, from this day on to live for you, your kingdom and glory. And the church says together, amen. Would you stand with us as we take communion, invite the ushers up, and remember what Christ has done.